You're listening to Drinking Socially, the official Untapped podcast, your weekly look into what's happening in the Untapped community and the world of beer. I'm Kyle. And I'm Tim. Drinking Socially is released every Wednesday morning and can be found at podcast.untapped.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Episode 15. Yes, it is. The, the big the big one five. Didn't, nobody says that. No. It's like a, like a quinceanera, but for podcasts. There we go. Maybe. <laughs> All right. Today we're cracking open one that was actually sent directly to us. I'll, I'll let you tell the story about, about how we came to this beer, um, but I'm super, super excited. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited. I'm excited more to see it than I am to drink it, to be honest. Okay. So if you've been following along, uh, back in episode 11, we had an article in our news segment uh, about Springdale and Against the Grain Brewing um, coming up with their idea to make a completely clear IPA, basically just challenging the haze craze that's been going on. Um, it, it was a cheeky and irreverent commentary on how our entire subculture is all about the Instagram and taking these cool, like orange opaque photos. Mm-hmm. And this this joke ended up turning into an actual completely clear beer. It sounded a little bit like uh, one of our uh, April fool's day jokes where it was like, Oh, you know, the clear lager. Well, you know, here's, here is the actual clear IPA. This is basically the crystal Pepsi of IPAs. It's the original <laughs> yeah. article called it out. Um, it is, uh, it is called any IPA. It is from Springdale beer and against the grain brewery. Um, it is a new England style IPA, IPA, but it is again, clear. Oh, we just poured it and it, it looks like ginger ale. I would say lighter, lighter, um, more, uh, you're thinking like Canada to dry. Yeah, exactly. Right? Okay. And something I definitely have to do is give a huge shout out to a listener, Amanda R, uh, who picked this up for us from the brewery, uh, and sent it all the way out here to California. So thank you very much for doing that. It was pretty awesome to be able to see that sort of um, feedback from our listeners. Yeah. Uh, and to just literally cover that, and then a couple of days later, it'd be like, oh, what? We can actually follow up with trying this craziness? Well, it, it, it's also hard to kind of put in perspective sometimes that that there are folks throughout the country, throughout the world, who are listening to this. And we, we've had some feedback about being very Southern California-centric. Yes. And we're listening. We're absolutely listening. We're trying to take into consideration all points of view, whether it's winter or summer there, whether it's, you know, you have different styles of beer. We're listening. We're trying to incorporate all, all kinds of feedback. So we hear you. And thank you again. We really appreciate you taking the effort to um, send this out to us. Yeah. Thank you so much, Amanda. All right. So let's get into the, the flavor of this a little bit. So I, I can't handle the like complete psychological weirdness going on here. <laughs> Seriously. It's you look at it and you're thinking this is going to be some sort of syrupy sweet or like apple-y. I, it, it, it's like my, I, my tongue is still saying apple and, and sweetness and ginger. Like you said ginger and I start tasting ginger. But it, it's if I stop and I think about it and get past that, it's definitely got like a hoppy IPA thing going on. It's, it's not as tropical as you would expect from say a, a new England style IPA with, um, you know, the super rich citrus notes. But I do, I, I get maybe pineapple or, yes. um, sort of when you crack open one of those pineapple cans, the, the canned like chopped up pineapple, um, it's, it's got that smell to it. It's got sort of that color to it as well. Almost, almost, uh, fruit parfait, uh, flavors going on yes. where it's, it's really light and, and crisp tasting 
without the the like heavy heavy body that you expect from a new england style or a hazy ipa yes that's true the um the The body is so light yes it's light i do get that texture um and it it's got that nice ipa flavor going on yeah but it's it's bitter for sure take a second here i gotta read this out of the can all right go ahead so it says uh any ipa no 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 this is any ipa clearly there is a difference this juice bomb puts the haze craze to shame. Brewed with only the dankest hops, this crystal IPA is all the rage. So get in line. This collaboration between Against the Grain and Springdale is worth the wait. I will definitely say it was worth the wait for the shipping to get out here. If anything, just to experience it, for sure. But the bonus is that it is, it's tasty. So it's been out for a little while now. It's kind of, it's been canned. It's been distributed. We're trying it now. I'm interested. This to, was canned on uh, April 30th. I'm interested to know like how how the ratings have fared, uh, whether folks are are kind of liking this this style. Is this something that is going to catch on? Um, the the like clear, real clear. Um, it's it's coming in at 3.54 uh, with 1,200 ratings. Okay. So it doesn't majority look, coming, I guess, from cans. Yes, I believe only. Um, I mean, there's only fourteen hundred unique check-ins, mm-hmm. so not that many. Not a lot of doubles either, because the total is fourteen seventy-three and the unique is fourteen thirty-six. This is this is one of those that like you if you get the opportunity to try, you don't pass it up. You don't you don't, you don't pass up the unique of the any IPA. Oh. It's definitely a novelty beer. That is for sure. Um, it's not something I could see going back to. No. But you have to experience the fact that, like, you're in, in your feed of beer friends. Yeah. You're going to have you, a, you're, you got you're, it. You, you're you, going to be the, you're going to stand <laughs> out in the yeah. sandwich of orangey, hazy, opaque beers. Now, this is, this is one that we didn't take a, a photo of. I know you, you have this kind of uh, unspoken rule of you get two. One is for drinking and one is for photos. Do we have? I, I have two? a second can, okay, and I will be sure to put this in proper glassware yeah. as opposed to our plastic cups that we use for our for, shared for tasting, yeah. um, and uh, put that up somewhere. Yeah, I don't think I had any doubt. I didn't think that it was going to be an unpalatable or or not an IPA, but I think there's there's some sort of of psychological nuance that's being added on top of my actual objective taste of the beer where that my tongue is is thinking oh this is probably an ipa this is something that's pretty bitter and my brain then says well no it's probably like sierra mist right or this is this is probably like canada dry ginger ale but it's it's none of those things and it's it it keeps kind of bouncing in between those hyper sweet flavors of high fructose corn syrup and the the like uh i don't know weird tropical hop flavors that i'm getting yeah i just sent you a picture from uh, a user where it's a pour of this beer next to the water to water <laughs> <laughs> now see it's perfect so when you're when you're mm-hmm. in like a brewery or you're you're at home and you've got a wooden table it's kind of it's pretty close to the reflection that you would expect just from the kind of stained wood yep. uh a nice light wood a nice i don't know maple it's got it's got kind of that hue to it but that's it's this is this is clever it's entertaining this. it's yeah. unique and i i'm all for anything that's unique and different 
And I do want to know if you've had this one. Definitely. If you have had this one, um, let us know what you thought on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram by tagging us at untapped. All right, let's look at some of the more recent updates to the Untapped app. The latest update that we've released as of June 6th, which is the day that we're recording this, is Untapped 3.2.9. And this includes a couple of improvements to the Untapped experience, including one that I think is pretty cool, uh, a new personal ratings histogram on your profile. So if you go to the profile tab, tap the little user icon, You'll see uh, as the like third item on that screen now, you've got a personalized rating histogram that has the total ratings that you've ever given every beer all mapped out. Uh, broken down by, broken the, down rating by the rating increments. Yep. Right. It's very cool. I love that. It's made me realize that I'm a very generous rater. <laughs> we both tend with, to be. With nothing like well, on so the lower scale. Here, Here's an interesting fact that I found about yes. this was... I joined Untapped in 2011, I okay. think, late 2011. I'll have to look at my profile, but I joined pretty early on, and we introduced the 0.25 star ratings further along in that process. So most of my rating history actually lies in the 0.00 and yep. 0.5 range. So when I go back and look at this histogram, a lot of the history that's in there is is still just in the 0.5 and, and kind of round number range. Uh, less in the in the 0.25. So if you see some extra 0.25s and 0.75s from me, that's just me trying to uh, you know round out this nice looking graph. What I find super interesting is that I have 1,049 ratings, but 1,462 unique check ins. So the the way that this works is that you've got unique beers that you've probably had more than once, and whether you've had them on draft or in a can, you're going to rate them probably differently or based on the experience you maybe try a taster of one at a festival and you love it and then you go and get a four pack of it and it's miserable it's not what you expected it wasn't you know the same environment um, and you rate it differently so what we're taking into consideration is a single rating for that particular beer it's averaged out based on all of the ratings that you've given that unique beer and rounded to the most appropriate rating okay that makes sense Tim is pretty generous. There are a couple. I think this is really interesting, too, that you're able to kind of discover, like, man, I really rate a lot of these beers five. Four, or, four is my largest uh, majority rating. Exactly. Or there are folks who I've seen that uh, they didn't know that they had a five beer and rediscovering kind of that there was a beer that that blew their mind and was in their minds the the top rated beer for them. Oh, yeah kind of rediscovering that that thing and remembering like hey this was a really great experience i loved when i had this beer um and and hopefully it is for you too you can also see the ratings histogram for any of your friends on untapped uh by just going to their profile as well and if you do if you tap through um to either hitting the total ratings in the top right of that card or the ratings headline in the left side you can go to your beer history and then search through your unique history there as well. That's right. You can sort then by your rating or the global rating uh, just to get a general sense of what others thought and what you thought. We also introduced a new native integration with Google Maps on the Map tab. This is leveraging uh, what's called the native SDK for Google Maps. So hopefully there's a little bit more of a performance bump. Uh, things are working a little more smoothly. 
They should look really, really great on uh, high-definition Android screens, the uh, retina displays of an iPhone 6, 8, 10, whatever, whatever you've got. Um, but Ten- now now we're doing that for, for the Maps tab, and it should look great. If you are having any issues with it, please do let us know by giving us feedback um, on our help channels. That's help.untapped.com. We also introduced the ability to filter multiple styles in things like lists, menus, and top-rated beers. So if you're on any of those pages and you tap to open up the filter menu, you'll be able to see a list of all of the styles for that particular list or menu, and you can select now multiple styles to display at once. So if I want to find loggers and IPAs, IPAs exactly. instead of just only being able to do one. Exactly. Oh, nice. Or if you're looking for... Uh, particularly uh, specific styles um, and all of the different Belgians that we offer inside the app, you're able to then select all of those. This is really great for really long lists, things like Total Wine or uh, if your local bottle shop has a whole bunch of different beers on there or if you have... um, If you're very specific in your style preferences. Sure, exactly. We also introduced a number of bug fixes, including double notifications for when you mention a user in a comment on a check-in. Some users were receiving double notifications on theirs. Um, And we also fixed an issue with the friends list not loading. So if you're looking for friends, trying to kind of browse through who you have friended on Untapped, uh, we were hitting a bit of a snack. So we fixed that. It should be working. If you are having any issues, please do leave us some feedback at help.untapped.com so we can log your issues and address them in a future update. You can always see a full list of updates at updates.untapped.com or you can go to the settings section and tap the product updates button. All right, let's take a look at some recent sponsored badges that we've added to Untapped. The first badge we have up for you this week is Beers of Fenway from Boston Beer Company. You can unlock this badge by checking into one Boston Lager, Summer Ale, Sam 76, or Rebel IPA while at Fenway Park between June 13th and July 31st. So while you're out there enjoying those summer ball games, you can unlock this one. Prime baseball season, too. I've never been to Fenway, and I really want to get out there. I'm sure you do. Your love of baseball is second only to... Only to beer, beer honestly. Yeah. yeah, only to beer. <laughs> and the combination of the two of these it's things, just it is spectacular. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. That's the pinnacle for you right mm-hmm, there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this comes in uh, with the fact that the Boston Beer Company was recently announced as the official beer of the Boston Red Sox. They will soon be adorning the right field roof deck as the Budweiser sign that is sitting up there now will be torn down and replaced with a Samuel Adams sign, which is pretty exciting as they get back to their northeast roots. So they're not replacing the Green Monster, you're saying? I thought maybe they would just put a big Boston Beer Company sign on the Green Monster. Is that not how it's going to work? I don't believe that's no, that's, uh, that's, too, that's too bad. <laughs> the next badge we have here is the Asahi Karakuchi from Asahi. This is to check into one Asahi dry beer between June 11th and July 11th. For those of you who do not know Japanese, Karakuchi translates to dry taste. It is usually used to describe wine and sake, but it is perfectly fit for the dry uh, taste that you get from Asahi Super Dry. Just as a, a little bit of a personal story for Asahi Super Dry, I actually was on an island in Japan uh, when I had uh, Asahi Super Dry the last time. Um, it ended up being a five-star beer for me, and, and here's why. 
it was a hundred percent humidity and about 85 degrees on the island and this beer i've got a photo of it i'll put it in the show notes but april 25th just on this tropical island that has less than probably 300 people on it the beer came to me in this frosty glass oh that that was just spectacular completely frozen it's so much so that it left my fingerprints in the glass you can see it in the photo but it was it was exactly what I needed at that point. I had been walking around. We were going through caves. It was oh, it was just an incredible beer. The at perfect that moment. ending to a long, hot, wet day. I'm yeah, sure, yeah. Well, well, not the ending. I, I had to take another like three hour boat ride all the way back, which wasn't great with a beer in my stomach. But that's another story. <laughs> uh, this Asahi Super Dry was so 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 good at that point i can Uh, only imagine i'm gonna put that in the show notes perfect it's very good the last badge we have for you here is the go premium lager badge from our friends at grolsch at a time when beer lovers are clamoring for hot new styles and chasing the trends it's easy to forget one of the styles that started it all the lager believe it or not this is one of the most difficult styles of beer to brew requiring immense patience and steady temperature control Again, the people at Grolsch are here to remind us about this by spotlighting this beer with a brand new badge. This badge actually has two separate levels. You can unlock the first level of your Go Premium Lager badge by checking into one lager from Grolsch, Meantime, Asahi, Peroni, or Pilsner Ukel between June 1st and June 30th. Uh, if you want to continue up to level two, you just need to check into two more for a total of three and you will be upgraded. You can find a list of the loggers that qualify for this badge on our blog, which is blog.untapped.com. Want to show off your love of Untapped? Check out our online store and pick up Untapped branded glassware, shirts, sweatshirts, hats, and more. Go to store.untapped.com and enter the coupon code podcast at checkout to get 20% off all orders. That's store.untapped.com coupon code podcast to get 20% off. Let's move on to our style of the week segment and take a look at this week's featured beer style. Here's Tim with more. This week we are taking a look at a style that couldn't be any further from the IPA and we are looking at the Belgian style double and that is D-U-B-B-E-L. The term double, which is also known as double the way that we would normally spell it, D-O-U-B-L-E, is a Belgian Trappist beer naming convention. Um, the origin of the double was a strong version of a brown beer brewed in the Westmall Abbey in 1856. Um, it is known to have gone on sale to the public in about June of 1861, so it definitely has far-reaching origins. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And I, I, I know this is one that... When I see a double or a triple, I'm likely to lean more towards the triple just because you expect a little more sugar, a little more complex flavors, uh, more alcohol content uh, per volume. And it's just, it tends to be like if you're looking for the ideal version of the style, that's that's what I tend to go for. I don't really frequent doubles. And I don't, I don't know if that's, I don't know. I, I don't know why. Personal preference, I'm Personal guessing. Personal preference, yeah. probably, yeah. yeah. I, I, I actually started out my craft beer journey in triples, 
uh, because they were so sweet and and a little more carbonated, mm-hmm. and you get kind of like that uh, mixed drink flair to them a, a bit, kind of very coriander and like uh, herb driven at times. Um, and so I, I I tended to lean more towards those, especially ones from Deschutes. Very 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 stoic is one that's really good. Um, yeah, lots of good triples from that area. And as Kyle is alluding here, uh, there is the double is there and then there's the triple and there's also the quadruples you can imagine the fact that as you go up the strength of those beers and the the flavors and things change a little bit so that's an entire kind of sequence there starting with the double right uh the west mall double was imitated by other breweries uh trap both trappist and commercial um both in belgium and worldwide which kind of led to the emergence of the style uh as a whole now, Trappist beer is brewed by Trappist breweries. Uh, there are 11 monasteries, uh, six in Belgium, two in the Netherlands, uh, one in Austria, one in Italy, and one in the United States. Yeah, so the question comes up, what is a Trappist? So That's when they swing back and forth between the, like, uh the the bars and and then they land in each other's arms and then they grab they like grab on, is right? Yeah, exactly. There is a group known as the Order of Cistercians of the Strict Observance. It is a Catholic religious order of cloistered, contemplative monastics who follow the rule of St. Benedict. Um, Communities of these groups, uh, which include monks and nuns, uh, are commonly referred to as Trappists and Trappistines, respectively. So basically, a Trappist is a grouping or community of monks uh, from this order. In order to help sustain their abbeys, which are basically like a grouping of houses in their monastery, um, a lot of Trappists uh, in these places uh, were brewing beer in order to sell it and kind of use those earnings to support their communities. Now let's talk about the characteristics of a double. Kyle, you kind of alluded to the booziness and the kind of the sweetness of the triple. Um, A lot of those characteristics also follow through in the double. Um, They're known for being dark brown in color uh, with strong flavors of dark fruit, kind of a including raisins, prunes, and dates. Almost like a like a baking quality, it seems. Mm. When, I, I think a lot about double and triple flavors, and Belgian flavors especially, um, when I'm watching uh, the Great British Bake Off, and they're doing a lot of kind of like raisiny and rum type recipes in there. Yeah, that does make sense in terms of like the, uh, the types of... Like malts and things kind you would of expect like, from that area. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah, that makes perfect sense. Yeah, very, very definitely European. <laughs> yes. The flavors and colors are a result of the heavy additions of highly caramelized beet sugar, uh, which ferments completely into alcohol, lightening the body uh, of the finished beer and contributing kind of to its dry finish. I assume that beet sugar then doesn't impart any color. Beet sugar is probably just the re- refined version of beets uh, as, a, as a root vegetable and and is more of a crystalline type thing. And the... the you're not seeing, you know, deep red colored beer when you when you think of a double. Yeah, it's more of like a brownish right, feel right, there, right. which is which is coming probably from the the malts or or the uh, caramelized sugars in general. Exactly, and the, the caramelization of the beet sugar is a major contributor to the uh, Maillard flavors, including kind of the chocolatey caramel and nutty tones. They give it that sort of wide gamut of complexity. Interesting. You can get a lot of flavors too, almost uh, almost umami flavors from that type of reaction. It's it's typically associated with things like grilled meats or 
uh, vegetables or any types of like sugars kind of on the outside of a, a, a food item, you'll get this caramely, uh, caramelization of sugars that cause that, that kind of like brown looking thing. It's good. It's real good. Oh yeah. Very it's, good. It's, it's my favorite part of food. Honestly, if I'm being the yeah. charred outside. Yes. yes. Oh my gosh. So good. Because of the special strains of ale yeast that are used in the production of doubles, they often carry a mild spice, kind of like a coriander, black pepper. Um, those are some notable examples that exist in the traditional Belgian doubles. And then because the double style is such a unique and kind of prolific style, uh, most non-Trappist breweries, uh, including craft breweries in the United States, they tend to make their own doubles and attempt to more or less follow the restrictions of the original Belgian varieties kind of sticking to that tradition a little bit it's good i'm glad it didn't go away (laughs) definitely (laughs) just a quick correction on the way that we pronounced the word pliny i wouldn't exactly call this a correction more of a debate if you will that's true that's true uh there is a quora article which we will link into the show notes with a video of the head brewer at Russian River saying Pliny the Elder versus Pliny the Elder. I We both, I think Tim and I agree, we understand the distinction between Pliny the person and the beer, whether that's pronounced Pliny the Elder, Pliny the Younger, or just, I feel like it's a lot safer for us to just say the Younger or the Elder at this point. Everyone that I know says Pliny. And I've I think never it's a heard West it, Coast. I've never heard it pronounced any other way. Yes. And so that's just all I've got to go with. And for those of you who are super confused by this correction, this is in reference to an article we discussed last week about Pliny the Younger bringing in revenue to Napa Valley. I mean, the the big question is, how do you pronounce it out there, listeners? Yeah. yeah. Pliny, Pliny. I mean, West I'd, Coast, I'd East cu- Coast, anyone? Yeah, I'd be curious to know what what other folks are are pronouncing it yeah. as. I understand that academically, it's Pliny. He had a lot of ideas about health related stuff uh that i find really really interesting if you've ever listened to the sawbones podcast Mm -mm. so 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 good they cover a lot of sort of um uh, ailments and their historical significance interesting and the way that uh folks like Pliny the elder tried to accommodate and uh treat those types of ailments uh in the past and especially i mean you're you're looking at 23 ad that's way that's way 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 in the past when our understanding of medical and science uh, type stuff was was way, way, way behind the times. So anyway, good podcast. Very good. <laughs> Highly recommend. I will definitely check that out because that sounds super interesting. All right, let's look at some of the interesting beer articles that we found this week. Our first article comes from Esquire.com. Napa Valley now has a beer train that only costs $75. Now, obviously, Napa Valley is very well known for wine. Uh, they are known for their wine train. Um, but now there is a delicious beer train. I've got to ask, have you been on the wine train before? I have not. But after reading this article, I was discussing with my wife, mm. and we may have to go back up to Napa just to try these out. Yeah, this, this sounds very, very cool. I have been on... Uh, there was one in Santa Cruz in the Santa Cruz area called the Skunk Train, which I have been to a couple times. Very much like a a, a Kyle's childhood. It does type not thing. sound appetizing. No, it, you would think it smells too. I think it's a steam engine. Anyway, it's a train, 
And I like trains. I, I recently took a train to Chicago from LA Union Station. That was a heck of a trip. But uh, I could imagine kind of separating things out a little bit more with a, with a few beers in between would make things pretty uh, nice. I'm going to guess that this is going to be far more enjoyable I would of, a dra- so. of a a ride than yeah. just sitting in a seat. So the Napa Valley Wine Train is introducing the Hop Train, which is a beer-laden journey on the tracks through through California wine country. The trip is hosted by local craft brewery Napa Palisades Beer Company, whose beers include the 1849 Gold Rush Red, Loco IPA, and Little Loco Session IPA. You'll be drinking those a You'll be drinking those beers along with chowing down on bar bites as the train chugs along through the beautiful valleys of Napa. I will say, eating on the train was kind of an experience too, trying to like balance the whole, like it's a table, but then, you know, do you, you had to one, share the table with yes. other folks. It's in the like train. a cafeteria, right? Definitely like a cafeteria, but with forced uh, seat restrictions and you definitely had to sit with someone else that you had never met before. And you're only eating like... What I'm guessing is really bad cafeteria food. It's kind of like airplane food. Instant yeah. meals. Um, There there was a kitchen, but kind of like instant meals. Something's yeah. telling me that the uh, orders and snacks that you're going to be having on this beer train are going to be slightly Peanuts, better. maybe. I hope. Uh, pretzel. I, you could go with like a soft pretzel. Yeah, but come on. You know this is going <laughs> to be it's better. On, yeah, it's on a train. Yeah. All right. Yeah. The article goes on to mention that you can feel free to marvel at the 360-degree views from the open-air car where you'll be seated or just bury your face in the beer. I I, Maybe a little of both. Yeah, probably a little bit of both. I I tend to get a little motion sickness on on uh, trains. Ooh, that could not go Which well. would not be very good. No. So long as you're kind of like taking the train and stopping a few times, maybe. Well, getting out this stretching. this trip, it starts in the evening and it only lasts about two hours. So I think you should be OK. But, you know, two hours of enjoying a few different beers and some uh, some what I'm going to guess are slightly higher quality snacks or d'oeuvres or yeah. d'oeuvres while in an open air car going through green valleys of Napa for only 75 bucks. Sounds pretty good. That sounds amazing. Yeah, I know that in that area the the wine trolley is is pretty popular, but the trolleys tend to have four wheels. The wine everything up there is more popular. That is true. That is true. But driving around in those trolleys is somewhat like a bus if not like a a actual San Francisco trolley, mm, okay. uh, you know, yeah, uh, riceroning down the street. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> very much the same. It's just the this train being on tracks sounds like the adult version of uh, going around the like pumpkin patch. You know, you know, taking the train around the pumpkin patch, right? Yeah, yeah. Like the 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 thing you, you put your kid on, little like, scale model version. Yes, yes I know yes. what you're talking about. Like the, you go over there. I'm gonna I'm gonna stay over here. Good news for those listeners in the Napa Valley area. Tickets are only fifty dollars for locals, so it's even more worth it. Yeah, that does sound like a pretty good deal. Can we do a remote show from a train? From a train, probably. It's two hours, which is kind of the time that it takes to record these episodes. Can, oh, uh, maybe we need to find a quiet corner. We, we, oh, don't of the train uh, of the train. Uh, that sounds like that sounds like a really awesome way to, that would be to record the show. Amazing. Well, and speaking of Belgian monks and Trappists, I feel like this news article is 
definitely in line with what we covered for the style of the week. It is right on track, if you will. The next article here comes from VOA Where? News. <laughs> you reached it. I did. The next article here comes from voanews.com, and it is Belgian monks get back to brewing after a 200-year break. That is a long lunch break. Those are some old monks. Yeah, right? Still hanging out there. <laughs> yeah, they're just... How's that happen? <laughs> <laughs> so a small band of Belgian monks are planning to start producing their own beer again more than 200 years after invading French troops stopped all brewing at their abbey. The men from Grimbergen Abbey started making beer in 1128, but stopped in 1797 when the French took over the site and sold off all their equipment. After that, some of the world's biggest uh, drink brands filled the gap. Uh, Heineken's unit, uh, Alchemaze, makes brown and blonde lagers with the Grimbergen brand in Belgium. And then Carlsberg also sells them abroad, kind of paying a royalty back to the Abbey. Yep. But the Abbey themselves, the monks there, they've drawn up plans for their own microbrewery to produce their own beers to sell alongside the other Grimbergen drinks on the market. The article goes on to quote sub-prior Carl Stratmas saying, We want to build a microbrewery on a small scale and linked with tradition on the site where the brewery stood before the French Revolution. The operations will be much smaller than the other ones run by Belgium's Trappist abbeys, such as Chimay or Westmall, which we actually just talked about being the origin of the double. Right. But the abbey, which is home to about 20 monks, they still need to complete the feasibility study and secure their approvals and licenses, but they hope to get the new brewery operation flowing by 2020. Now, that's pretty good. I mean, I'm all for, I mean, we've seen this over and over again, Uh, beer styles, beer breweries come and go. Um, they, it it takes a lot to get something off the ground and to see something like this coming back that is so much of an embodiment of the tradition and, and a particular style, uh, that they will be brewing is is really good to see, I think. Yeah. And I mean, what's more interesting is seeing 200 year old monks coming back to, you know, do all that work. Sure. Yeah. Zombies almost. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Okay. All right. Lean, lean right into it. Uh, Next up here, we have an article from Vice's Munchies blog. Booze brands are making low-alcohol drinks so millennials won't embarrass themselves. I do like Munchies. I do like Vice. I am torn on millennials maybe i it, it's it's you don't it like is, low abv beers but that's a uh, actually i well, do yeah, really okay. like low abv beers uh, they tend they tend to be uh typically on the sour side and stuff yes that's true so i i, I don't like a session ipa much it, it's difficult to to convince me to get a to drink a session ipa but but i'll, I'll rather i would rather go for a lager or something like that millennials though <laughs> Ah, <laughs> uh, those millennials. It's clickbait. It's definitely clickbait. And and Vice knows what they're doing right here. Oh, yeah, they do. So what's going on? I think the subline from this article covers it pretty well. Young people want to get drunk without ending up a casualty of their friends' Instagram stories. Wow. So it's the stories that are really kind of Maybe not just the story. It's social in general, okay. but that's All just right. where they went with it. Earlier this week, an article in Bloomberg explored the growing appeal of weak beers to young drinkers in Australia. And in addition, last month, AB InBev even released a lower alcohol version of Corona in Australia to meet the demand for drinks that allow you to socialize and drink without getting too drunk too fast. Now, the article goes on to ask the question, why the hell would people want to drink super weak beer? 
According to global analysts in the spirits sector, the answer has more to do with Instagram than with, say, the high price points of limited-run IPAs. People don't like looking sloppy, like lazy-eyed village drunks in photos and videos that inevitably end up on Instagram and Facebook. In a world that is ruled by social media, this makes perfect sense to me. In Australia, beer consumption has actually plummeted over the last few decades, and even earlier this week, um, news spread that Kettle One, which is the vodka, well, I know them as Kettle One Vodka, I'm sure they produced more spirits than that, um, they're actually launching a lower alcohol version of their vodka in order to meet the demand of, you guessed it, millennials, okay. who are more health conscious and image conscious than previous generations. To say that that image is just what you are doing in public, I think is is one thing. But what ends up on social media, because at there at some point it's probably out of your control. It is what others are taking photos or videos of you, and whether that lives for twenty four hours on your Instagram stories or whether that lives forever in some sort of YouTube video that goes viral. Anything uploaded to the internet is written in ink. Absolutely. Whether it's a, even if you think it's ephemeral, you know it lives somewhere on a server. Most definitely. And, that, and Snapchat is, has admitted to that much. This is true. Yeah. And I, admittedly, the beginning of this article kind of covered this a little bit more, which I did not include in our discussion here. Um, but it went on to talk about how there's an app out there that um, – allows you to take photos that kind of look like they were taken with one of those handheld Polaroid cameras from back in the day, causing those like light burst effects. And basically the way that they kind of tied it in is saying, you know, back when you used to party and people had a handheld Polaroid camera, you know, one person took photos and they had to develop it and that, that wasn't going on the internet. No. Now everything is taken on your phone and easily distributed to friends, to colleagues, to the internet, to the world. So that's where it all kind of ties together. I mean, and more than likely, that that stuff can end up somehow linked to your LinkedIn. It can end up being uh, something that can be used against you for job interviews or whatever. Uh, it, it has so much, so many more ramifications yes. socially now than it ever did before. And there, the article mentions that there are two overwhelming problems in the intersection of drinking and social media. Um, the risk of embarrassing drunken photos being posted by others and the risk of sharing embarrassing things about yourself, whether it's uh, footage from your drunk night out or just a drunk text to an ex or something like that. Sure. Sure. Yeah, I, I, I understand the concern. I, I think, I mean, we've always been on the side of obviously drink responsibly, get a ride, every, everything about that. And it includes social media. Mm -hmm. It's one of those things that you probably don't think much about when it comes to what what type of image you put out there and and what type of information you give about yourself, whether it's where you currently are, the state in which you you are in it's it's kind of rough to to think about all the ramifications and, and it's hard to make that calculation when you're impaired the article finishes up saying that this doesn't mean of course that we no longer want to party drinking is still a deeply embedded part of our culture and remains synonymous with the idea of fun and perhaps lower alcohol drink can permit us to have our beer and drink it too without waking up in the middle of the night in a panic rushing to delete your reputation damaging 17 segment instagram story <laughs> Sure, I get that. Uh, okay, so my only rebuttal with this, I, I love the article, by the way. I think this is a good point. This is a, a poignant article over advice, um, as as they typically are. Do you remember Hipstamatic? Some of my first Instagram photos were first processed with, with or Hipstamatic. Hipstamatic. Yes. Yeah. Same here. Uh, the The amount of time 
that it took to roll through your camera roll, decide, first of all, that you're going to take a photo of something because you're the amount of storage available on your device was definitely limited. Your first version of the iPhone with what, like 8, 16 gigs maybe? Exactly. Then to take the time to pull it over to another application, then to actually decide to share it. And whether that's Twitter, Facebook, whatever whatever there was at the time, it, it took a lot more effort to get that from what you were experiencing to the internet. Uh, As opposed to just loading up Instagram and going live. Three button clicks. Oh yeah. Um, I could probably ask Google to do that right now, and it's 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 <laughs> Google embarrass me on the internet. Pretty much. It it can be really rough, and it's something that that making that calculation uh, by the, by the time you are deciding to do it is probably already too late. So yeah, there's also a lot of other social impacted stuff and, and personally impactful stuff that comes with drinking and being social yep. and 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 being in situations like that that I want to make sure that we do take a, a quick second to address. Yes. Just as as in general, please be responsible. It is it is imperative that you drink responsibly. Yes. And it, and still enjoy yourself clearly, but definitely take take stock of everything that you're doing and and make sure that you're safe while you're doing it. Last article we have for you this week comes from foodandwine.com. How quickly do hoppy beers go bad? We did a taste test to find out. Thank goodness, because I've got way too many in my fridge. I know we do here at the office as well. Yes, I thought this related very well to the uh, stockpile of (laughs) IPAs that we have in our fridge. And it might point out that we need to sit down and go through them quickly. Yes, definitely. So drink fresh. The phrase is seen a lot in the beer industry, sometimes literally printed on the packaging. The sentiment isn't new because Anheuser-Busch made a huge deal about the born-on dates over two decades ago. But as beers have become hoppier with intense flavors driven by compounds with a limited shelf life, drinking beers as close to their brew date has become more important than ever to capture them at their peak. But what, what if you miss those dates? Can you really tell if a beer is a day or a week or even a month too old? Now, see, I'm interested if if foodandwine.com did some kind of, you know, blindfold taste tests. They decided, you know, which one which one's older. That was the thing that was kind of messing me up about this this any IPA. You know, actually seeing it, knowing anything about it, and knowing that it was supposed to be a certain way. You know, this is probably something that we could also do a little experiment on. Sure. It might take a little time, but we could definitely try it. No doubt, no doubt. Uh, So the author of this article, uh, he basically, he bought four cans each of two very hoppy beers and drank one each uh, week for four weeks to see if he could pick out any changes. His hypothesis was that he probably wouldn't notice anything different, but to his surprise, the hypothesis wasn't quite right. Uh, he chose two different beers. Okay. Uh, Northern Rising from Northern Monk Brew Co., a 5.5% ABV triple dry hop pale ale produced with five hop varieties. Oh, that sounds incredible. There's also probably a difference between fresh hop and dry hop. That is true. The second beer he picked was Birthday Balloon from Manchester's Cloudwater Brew Company, which is an 8.5% ABV double IPA that used Citra, Simcoe, Mosaic, and Nelson Hops split between the Whirlpool and dry hopping at the start of the fermentation. Uh, So both beers had printed best before dates, um, and then they were also able to obtain the canning dates. 
So the question is, how do they come up with these different best before dates? Colin Strong, Northern Monk's production manager, explains, uh, we conduct flavor tests with trained tasting panels to guide our best before dates. We go for four months on our double dry hopped beers because we find that within that time frame, our beers taste as close to a brewery fresh as they can. And after that, the hop flavor begins to fade. The more hops we use, the more the flavor degradation is noticeable in the beer, hence why the double dry hop beers have a shorter shelf life than the single dry hop beers. He continues to say that the flavor breakdown will happen slowly but surely, and the flavors begin to morph into others. Uh, He continues to say that fresh flavors like citrus or floral notes will begin to fade and can change into flavors with notes like cardboard and cheese rind Mm. and begin to taste tired and not as expressive as they once were. Uh, These changes can be subtle, but will not reflect the aromas and flavors that we love so much uh, when they leave the brewery. Now, cardboard and cheese rind, that's two of my favorite things to eat. Yeah, no kidding, I love that. (laughs) I want all my beer to be like that. Cardboard is, I think it is the idea of cardboard, probably. I mean, there's probably something You've never specific. eaten cardboard? Uh, I try not to. It's, oh. it, it's not part of a, a, a balanced diet. Uh, so what? F- I'm looking at the wrong food pyramid. Yeah, you must be. Okay. With cardboard at the top yeah. and, then, and then like beer. Beer is somewhere like right after cardboard, yes. I would assume. Okay. All okay. right. It's kind of like an inverted pyramid. Anyway, it sounds like a, like a bad choice. Uh, l- understanding what chemical compounds are being broken down to produce this like cardboard and cheese rind type flavor. I know cheese rind specifically, uh, cheese can be very complex as well. It's kind of its own world. Beer and cheese tend to age differently, but there are some cheeses too that you do want to try fresh. Um, in, In a world where cheese rind is not able to encapsulate the exact type of flavor i assume that cardboard and an old hop beer probably doesn't encapsulate the total uh breadth of what like a old quote-unquote old beer would taste like i i have not had cheese that is fresh okay oh, sorry. more like a mozzarella okay yeah i can't say that i've had extremely fresh cheese like that before mm-hmm. um i always buy it from a cheese from you can kind of make it like in one day, like mozzarella can be made in a, in a couple of days. Um, that's real fresh. There's a place in Santa Monica here that actually makes mozzarella there. Oh, we're going to have to check that out. Yeah, it's really good. That sounds good. Their I need to know. Really now I need good. to, now I need to be able to compare fresh cheese versus cheese that I buy at the grocery store. Perhaps It's, it's, it's a typical, it, typically it's like a different type of cheese. You get like a fresh sort of um, watery type cheese and an aged cheese is something that is uh, harder. Uh, the longer it ages, the harder it gets. Like think, think basically Parmesan or um, something like that. Uh, fresh cheeses are mozzarella, etc. I know for a while there you were doing your own little beer and we, cheese. We were pairing. doing kind of a yeah, yeah, yeah. That's kind of a, a, that sounds amazing. I love cheese. I love beer. It's very difficult to pair cheese with hops, though, because yes, they, I can imagine they do have very distinct characteristics and and do fight amongst each other. How have you have you wine and cheese compared before? I have not. Okay, no. so I'm curious See, how the, beer the and cheese is, versus wine and cheese because wine and cheese seems like a that's a that's a typical pairing. Exactly, um, it's it's something that's very classic. And, and anyway, all of this is to say, cheese rind as a particular fa- flavor, you need to get very specific with the type of cheese rind that you're talking about. Whether that's waxy, whether that is 
oily, whether that is um, the like the outside of a brie would be very different from the outside of a Gouda yes. versus a Parmesan. Yes, definitely. All, all very I different. have all three of those in my fridge. <laughs> you have a lot of cheese. Yes. Surprising. I have no cheese at home. I, I think I need to, I need to go back. I think back we have to, cheese. we're going to have a little charcuterie tonight. We should. I think we should. <laughs> uh, so the author of this article, he goes through and he tries um, one every week um, for the four weeks. I'm going to skip ahead a little bit to his final tasting notes. Northern Monk's brew didn't seem quite as intense uh, as it was when he first tried it. One major factor that stood out is that the tingling hop intensity on the throat was somewhat diminished, which I could imagine being that, you know, the fresh hops kind of dying down a little bit. He also mentioned that as for the birthday balloon, it was as if the intense 8.5% monster was kind of mellowing out a bit, hmm. or maybe he'd just gotten used to it. Sure. And whether he had gotten used to it or not, either way, uh, one thing was for certain, just two days away from quote-unquote expiring, uh, this beer was nowhere near bad yet. Uh, The author concludes that overall, uh, he knows that hoppy beer does go bad. He's drank them. He's held on to beer for too long, just kind of waiting for a special occasion, which I know I am 100% guilty of. Sure. Uh, I was wondering, actually, I was going to ask you once you once you kind of wrap this up, do you have a particular rule for one, how you tackle beers that you may have gotten in a recent divorce shipment or uh, what's first, what's, you know, what's last, what has photos, what doesn't um, and whether or not a dry hop goes before a fresh hop versus um, double IPA, single IPA. I don't I I don't get that intense. Okay. Um, I probably should in order to not have... Spreadsheet I, it out. Just I, put everything on the... <laughs> I know we have some dry hopped beers in the fridge that are going on six to eight months old at this point. Right. That we right. desperately need to enjoy before they go horribly wrong. Now, that's a really good point. But... I love the way that Stone has put the enjoy by date... Yes. ...in their name for beers. I recently went to the Pasadena... Uh, stone store and this article does mention enjoy by as one of those beers that does put on very specific that you need to have it by this date yeah and i i I mean i have had enjoy by after that date uh not on draft definitely always bottled but it's again it's more of a psychological thing that i i tend to think that this beer is not as good as it could be uh without knowing really what it it possibly could be um this article does wrap up by saying that uh um, if these two beers are any indication, the changes are very gradual. Um, and any beer snob who says something to the effect of, I won't drink a beer that's over X weeks old, is probably being a little overdramatic. Um, best before means nothing if the brewer didn't put any consideration into it. And the author certainly has seen dates set a year after packaging on a style that he knows wouldn't be any good that far down the road. At the same time, if you can drink a hoppy beer as fresh as possible, by all means, you should definitely do it. And I think we can attest to that. You get a nice, really good dry hop, hop intense beer. You're going to want to get it fresh so that you can enjoy that. It's not saying that if you have it in a month that it's not going to be as, like, it's not going to be good. But there's that certain bit of freshness. I mean, and I think that goes across the board with most things, like most edible or drinkable. <laughs> Any, anything items. that you're supposed to have. Yeah. Exactly. I, I, I think there's two things here. Uh, one, I I like what our friends at Tavor are doing with the whole like IPA box. They'll send it to you without any extra charges. As soon as you order it, they ship it out to you along with everything else that you've ordered recently. 
Um, I like that they're doing that because they're kind of taking into consideration that this beer is fresh. It's supposed to be enjoyed as quickly as possible. Mm -hmm. Um, The other part of this is like when you take the food analogy and you think this is supposed to be something that is super fresh, but by law, by whatever FDA law, they need to put a date on it to say that it's best by this particular date in order to distribute it. Um, the the date is more of a suggestion yes. and less of like a hard deadline for this type of stuff. I think maybe milk can, depending on the type of milk, <laughs> it can it can be kind of a suggestion. There are dates that are way beyond where I would ever be comfortable drinking a milk. I think a really good example is probably a soy sauce and things like that. You're never going to get a fermented, uh, preserved item that has a best by date miso. Miso is another great example. That's going to be great in your fridge for a year, six months to a year. It'll be perfect. The date on there has no bearing on whether or not it's good or not. And to say that that there that there is this. Uh, must have by X number of weeks date on there. It's kind of, I don't know if I agree with the article of it being overdramatic, but I think it is probably a miscalculation of what someone is willing to have and, and enjoy. Yeah, I completely agree. And the big takeaway here in this article is uh, like brewing itself, beer best before dates aren't always an exact science, similar to what you were just saying. Um, heed their warning, but don't let them consume you. Consume the beer instead. Ah, boy. Now it's time to answer some of your questions about Untapped and the world of beer. If you've got any questions for us about beer, Untapped, anything, be sure to use the hashtag AskUntapped on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram. This week's question comes to us from Kip S. on Twitter. Uh, he asks, what are the advantages of steam versus other heating methods? And this is referring to the brewing process. Oh, okay. So not like nuclear nuclear fusion or versus like solar that. versus wind. Sure. Versus yeah. No, I coal. Got, I got you. Yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. Uh, so there are actually three main methods of heating during brewing. You've got. I, th- I think Kip's talking about trains. By the way, I think just to oh, put that we one going in back there. there. Yeah, yeah, but all the way back to the trains. Okay. Steam. steam. <laughs> <laughs> there are three main heating methods that we have here. You've got steam heating, you've got electric heating, and you've got gas fire heating. Those are kind of the three main methods when it comes to brewing. Um, to start off with steam, uh, steam brewing basically it's you've got your brew kettle and then there's a jacket that's around it and you force very hot steam into this jacket around the kettle in order to increase the heat of your water or your wart or whatever that is in your kettle. Um, The pros here are that it has a very fast heating rate, so you can get that up to a boil very quickly. Um, Also, it's very easy to clean as opposed to other methods because there's nothing inside the kettle, um, just Mm. your wart or your water, um, and all the heating is done on the outside. Some cons to this are it's got a high cost for those the, the equipment for the kettles and that, that heating jacket that go around it. Um, it's not very cost-effective for small-scale brewing. Um, if you've got a larger brewery, you can invest into it. Um, hmm. it's, got, it's more effective that way. Um, and there's also some places that require certain permits and inspections for steam boilers slash generators um, so to keep the safety in line. That's what I was going to say. So for me, steam sounds pretty dangerous. It, and it can be if something breaks or blows or a gas comes off. Oh. You think about the pressurized steam that's in there. Oh. That can be very dangerous. Absolutely. Absolutely. 
The next method here is electric heating. Um, this is basically where you uh, put a heating tube inside of your kettle, um, some sort of a, like a heating filament or piece that goes inside of the kettle there, and it it's very efficient. It heats um, all of the water wort, um, basically transferring 100% of that heat into whatever it is that you're trying to boil. Um, some pros here is that it's highly efficient because of that direct transfer. Uh, there are no concerns about like carbon monoxide or open flames, which come from like the gas fire heating. Um, and you can really dial in and control the heat during the brewing process. Uh, some cons here are the cost of electricity is typically higher than say gas. The ramp up of the temperature tends to be a little slow. Um, obviously not as fast as say forcing heated steam on the outside of your kettle there. Um, and you need to pull out the electric elements um, from the brew kettle to clean them once you're done. Mm. So you've got these extra parts that you have to do some extra cleaning on. So, so these are like filaments that are kind of inside the kettle while this is being heated up. That is exactly right. Got it. Uh, the last and kind of um, more obvious one here is you know gas fire heating, basically where you use gas to create a flame and you just burn an open flame underneath of your kettle. It hits a bit of a diffuser plate, so you're not directly hitting the kettle. Um, and that heat is used to boil, similar to, like, say, a gas stove. Or a Bunsen burner. There we go. Mm -hmm. Yes, also that. Um, some pros here is it's got lower upfront cost, um, and a lot of brewers are kind of accustomed to this. Uh, home brewers out in your backyard using, like, a, a propane oven, or, if, for me, in an apartment using my gas stove. <laughs> it, it's, I mean, fire to boil water is a pretty standard sure. operation. Yeah. Um, some cons are it actually has a higher long-term cost because due to the fact that you're burning an open flame, you're going to need some exhaust and some ways to get that um, the carbon monoxide and smoke and et cetera out of your brewing uh, facility. Um, and then there are also fire regulations requiring suppression systems, et cetera, et cetera, in order to make sure that you have a safe environment. It sounds like it's pretty dependent too on the size of whatever it is that you're deciding to brew, whether it's at home, whether you're, you know, you've got capabilities on your stove uh, to, to brew what you want to brew or whether you're doing a huge, huge, huge uh, volume. Yes, exactly. So it, a lot of the pros and cons come down to um, like the efficiency versus the cost. So the, those are um, the different methods and the kind of the pros and cons of each. All right, show notes are available at podcast.untapped.com. And of course, if you've got any questions or feedback for us, either about Untapped or about this podcast, be sure to connect with us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. It's at Untapped everywhere. And if you could please take a moment to head over to Apple Podcasts and rate our show or give us a little review, we would greatly appreciate it. Uh, We're always looking to gather your feedback and to hear what you think about the show. And of course, if you add a little rating there, that helps others find our show on Apple Podcasts. We're trending on the uh, food section of iTunes right now. We'd love, love, love to beat David Chang. That's, That's all I'm saying. super exciting. That's all I'm saying right now. <laughs> yes, let's do it. Let's, Come on, people. If, if you can help out by writing a review on iTunes, it would help us beat David Chang. <laughs> Period. All right, until next week. Cheers. Cheers.